You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Jody Williams. I'm counsel at the Mogan Law Firm, and I am host for today's show, Women in Antitrust, which is being recorded on location at the ABA Antitrust Law 2017 Spring Meeting here in Washington, D.C. Joining me are three distinguished women in antitrust. I have Lisa Phelan, who is the chief of the Washington Criminal One section of the Antitrust Division of the Department of Justice here in Washington, D.C. I have Tiana Russell, who is a trial attorney in the Criminal One section. And I have Kristen Anderson, partner at Scott & Scott. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. Thank Thank you, you. Jody. Thank you. Before we get started, um, I would love it if each one of you can tell me a little bit about yourself. We'll start with you, Lisa. Sure. Thanks, Jody. And before I get started, let me just say that I am uh, speaking of my own views here, not necessarily those of the Department of Justice. I've been with the division for 30 years. I came straight out of law school and was fortunate at the beginning of my career to have the division uh, was, was organized such that new lawyers did both criminal and civil cases. So I got exposed to merger work, to policy work, and then also to cartel work. But pretty quickly realized that cartels was, uh, was where I wanted to be. So I spent um, the bulk of my time prosecuting large international cartel cases um, involving air cargo, freight forwarders, marine hose, auto parts, pharmaceuticals. It's been really a fascinating career and something I've loved. Wonderful. Thank you. Tiana, can you tell us about yourself? Good morning, everyone. I should uh, start by saying that the views I'm expressing here today are mine alone and um, should not be imputed to the Department of Justice. With that said, uh, I've been at the DOJ for over a year now. Um, Prior to that, I worked for seven years um, doing antitrust law at a private firm here in DC, and I'm excited to be here today. Great, thank you. And Kristen, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Kristen Anderson. I'm a partner at Scott & Scott in New York. I've been working in antitrust class action litigation on the plaintiff side for about 10 years. Wonderful. So we've got a wonderful group of women with a diverse background. Um, And as Lisa noted, today's topic is women in antitrust. And all these distinguished women have come to this field at different times. And I think we are all very aware that our field is more male-dominated than female-dominated. And I would love to get your thoughts and impressions, starting with Lisa, about how the diversity has changed in the section since starting back when you did, and then go to Kristen and Tiana and get their thoughts and and see how the diversity has changed among Mm -hmm. women. Sure, Jody, and it really has. Um, I've been coming to the ABA Spring Meeting, where we are today, um, for almost that whole 30 years of my career. It's always sort of kind of a centerpiece of the, the life of an antitrust lawyer. And I remember walking into the big ballrooms the very first time I joined and just seeing a sea of guys in gray or black suits and feeling a little lost and a little out of place and wondering, hey, is this really the right place for me? But over the years, I've just seen it evolve immensely. Um, I was Not only am I excited to see the number of women, but, but seeing the the diversity of the women that are participating and seeing uh, sort of more the confidence of women uh, wearing not just black and gray suits, trying to blend in with the guys, but uh, but boldly uh, making their fashion choices and, and not worrying so much about whether or not they, they, they fit in. Um, I think women have really found their place. One thing that really stands out to me as sort of a very 
concrete example of how women have enhanced and, and grown in the profession is uh, at the Department of Justice, if you ever come and you have a meeting with the Assistant Attorney General, as you wait in the ante room, you'll see a whole series of portraits on the wall, which are all the Assistant Attorney Generals over time. When I first started in the division, that was a wall full of men. <laughs> there were about 30 or 35 uh, uh, pictures of guys. The only diversity was some were wearing glasses and some were not. Then in the uh, mid-90s, when Ann Bingaman came, finally there was a woman, uh, a picture of a woman on the wall. And for me, that made a real difference, just thinking, hey, you know, a woman could go all the way. Um, now, at this point in time, in recent years, we've had as many as all of the commissioners at the FTC being women. We've had most of the deputies um, in the division being women, and we've had several assistant attorney generals that have been women. And so at this point, both in the private bar and inside the government, um, there's just so much more representation of women that it's exciting to me. Kristen, what about you? How has the antitrust bar changed since you became a young lawyer back in the early 2000s? I would say that my firm has a almost 50-50% um, men and women partners, which I think is, is probably a little bit unusual. So my firm, I think, does a good job at promoting women in the class action business. And I think I've seen that translating more and more into seeing more women in the courtroom um, in these large antitrust matters that I work on. Um, particularly within the last few years, I've noticed a lot more female associates um, being involved in the cases and taking a lead role on discovery issues. Um, while I think there's still, when it comes to oral argument and trial, I, I still think that um, the courtroom is mostly male-dominated. I see that changing in the next few years as um, more young female attorneys um, become more experienced and um, are able to take leadership roles in the courtroom. And I, I also think that um, judges appreciate seeing a, di a diversity um, at the bar. And I think uh, law firms more and more are trying to live up to that expectation and give women in antitrust uh, more opportunities to present in the courtroom. Very nice. And Tiana, you came into the law around the same time in the early 2000s. Yes, yeah, so I, I would definitely um, second Lisa's take that there's been a lot of improvement. I do think there's still room for improvement. So while I um, definitely think it's no longer unique to have a woman like Lisa walking into the room, um, even over the last couple of days and kind of scanning the various panels that I've sat in on, um, there's definitely still a majority of men, I think, by by at least two to one. And so I think while we've come a long way, it's also important to um, remember that there's a lot more things that can be done to bring women into the into the antitrust bar and to encourage them um, in moving forward. Okay, so that's a good point. There are a lot of things women can do to better position themselves. And I think one topic on the top of everybody's mind is is how women negotiate differently from men. And then Kristen touched a little bit on, on the presence of women in the courtroom and lead counsel becoming, it's rare, but it's becoming more prevalent that lead counsel are women as opposed to men. How can women, what can we do to better position ourselves to get that lead counsel role, to get the lead trial attorney role, mm -hmm. to get the deputy assistant or assistant attorney general position and really advance our careers? I think it's really important for women. Um, I, we made this, uh, I made this point in, a, in a, a conversation we were having the other day, uh, Jody, 
that women not overthink. I think women maybe sometimes hold themselves back a bit, thinking, well, if I can't be perfect, or if I can't, if, if there's a risk that maybe I'll have a conflict or they'll have a problem, they hold themselves back a little bit. And I've found that it just, it's important to just plunge in because you know, guys, they could have a conflict or they could have a reason why they can't come through on a promised, um, a promised project or deadline. And yet they don't let that stop them oftentimes from plunging in, taking on uh, responsibilities, um, asking for a higher position or role in a case. And so I've found if I always just don't overthink things and just go forward and plunge in and, and not be afraid to ask. I think women too are a little more reluctant to ask for opportunities. Um, they think they're gonna, they should wait until they're offered. And um, you know, I, I think if women just really push themselves forward, take a chance, and you know, they don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. So um, take a chance, push yourself forward, and look for opportunities, and don't be afraid when they come along. Do you have a personal story that perhaps you'd like to share, maybe inspire some women about taking that risk when <sighs> it might not have been an opportune moment? Um, actually, I, I think I do. And, and also the other piece is just having confidence in yourself that you do have good judgment. Sometimes when you are sort of not in the majority, um, you tend to think, uh, oh, the majority must know what they're doing. So in the early days of my work as a cartel lawyer, I had started an international case involving international paper companies. And at the same time, um, another female attorney in our Chicago field office had started an investigation that also involved international companies and it, uh, uh, an international industry, and it turned out to be the ADM case. Mine turned out to be fax paper cases, which came to be known as the Nippon paper case, was one of the, the major ones. At the time, n no one in the department was doing international cases, and and both Robin and I had raised with our bosses, well, you know, we could use more staffing. We want to be pursuing these cases, and we were kind of discouraged. Look, we don't really do those cases. They're going to involve a lot of uh, coordination with other jurisdictions and we like to be in a position to make the decisions ourselves. We don't necessarily want to get the, into a complicated situation where we have to coordinate with a lot of other jurisdictions. But I really thought that this was the way the economy was going. This is really where we should be. And Robin did as well. And so we sort of encouraged each other. We called each other up. We, gave each, we were sort of out on a limb doing some things that hadn't been done before where there wasn't a lot of case law or a lot of guidance. And yet we prevailed and persevered and persisted, as is the popular phrase these days. And eventually, obviously, uh, a huge piece of this conference is focused on international cartel work now. And that obviously was the wave of the future. But we could have let ourselves be discouraged and figured others know better. But we sort of hung in there and, and stuck to our guns. And it, obviously, it all turned out pretty well, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It did. Those were some very, very exciting cases. and. Mm. And we've come a long way. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Tiana, what about you? Do you have any personal experiences you could share or words of wisdom for our listeners? Yes. Well, I think one of the most interesting parts of that story is um, just the importance of seeking out colleagues who can be sounding boards for you. So as a, a woman in the field, I find one of the most valuable tools is to seek out other women to bounce mm -hmm. ideas off of, um, to get encouragement for, um, to work off of. So I think that that can be an invaluable tool in our um, profession. And then in terms of negotiating, I think, you know, one story is as, as lawyers are one of our top jobs is to be an advocate. And I think in the early parts of my career, I was less of an advocate for myself. And I think it kind of had a change in thought as I became a little bit more senior in my roles and, and started to realize that advocating for myself as an attorney was important and asking for raises or positions or, you know, lead counsel roles 
was an important tool in moving forward. And so I think that has been a, an invaluable lesson to me. Great. Thank you. And Kristen, what words of advice would you give to a young female attorney just starting out to better position herself to make the partner track as you've done? I'd like to echo something that Lisa said, and that is when you have a complex project that, that's assigned to you, I think there is, um, at least for me at the beginning of my career, there was sort of a, a resistance or an overwhelming feeling that I would get because I didn't know exactly how I was going to accomplish this big task. And I think um, you just have to jump in and start doing things one step at a time. Um, in, in terms of learning how to negotiate, for me, what, what I did was um, I looked at the styles of different people at my firm and um, sort of thought to myself, well, can I negotiate with that style? And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, I, couldn't, I just couldn't replicate the style of some of my partners. Um, so I started thinking about the style of um, litigation and the style of uh, negotiations on meet and confers with other attorneys, both um, on opposing counsel side and my co-counsel side. And uh, I would think about how they negotiated an issue and um, you know, take tips from here and there to come up with my own negotiating style. That's a really good point about not, not wanting to just accept the negotiating style because somebody else is imposing it on you, but learning it on your own and owning it and finding your own way, which is sometimes challenging in this world, but that's a great piece of advice. Um, we are very fortunate on this panel to have both government attorneys and private attorneys and I'm curious if you would all elaborate on the different opportunities that being in the government can offer women as, and private practice can offer women. And then I think Tiana might be the best to um, talk about this, about transitioning between both worlds and what different opportunities and how that can perhaps help your career. Yeah. So um, as I had mentioned, I, I was at a firm for seven years before coming over to government. And um, I have found um, that the opportunities at government are incredible, I think, for a woman. And I, I think part of that is that there's just more opportunities for lead counsel positions that sometimes, um, you know, uh, we might not have the resources. And, and if you're willing to do it, they will um, encourage you and um, <laughs> push you a little into the deep end. <laughs> and so that's wonderful um, versus at a firm, obviously a lot of those decisions are client-based. And so while the expertise and the training is, is fantastic, it can be very difficult to get into those lead counsel or speaker roles as a younger attorney. Um, so I, I think coming over to government has been an incredible help to my career just in terms of giving me those opportunities to get speaking roles, to get my face out there, and to be doing um, a little bit more than I was at, at the firm. And do you feel, not that she's looking to do this, Lisa, <laughs> but do you feel that should you decide to enter into the private bar after spending you know, a good chunk of time at Justice, that will advance your career in the private sector or...? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think the expertise and, and those um, opportunities that can be harder to gain at a firm, but which are kind of necessary to move up the ranks, um, I think the ability to get those at government would, if I decided to go back, make it easier to transition back to the private side um, without a doubt. 
great. Lisa, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I think the opportunities to get litigation experience and to actually be at council table and maybe even lead attorney are just incredibly greater with the government. Um, you know, looking back, I still can't believe I was allowed to do it with less than two years of, of uh, as a lawyer uh, working for the division. I was able to do opening statement and closing argument at a major federal criminal antitrust trial going up against Covington and Burling, Gibson Dunn, um, O'Melveny and Myers, just huge firms. You know, the, my opposing counsel was 35 to 40 years my senior. And, and yet, I didn't think twice about it, you know, sort of uh, the ignorance of youth. You, you think you can do anything, and somebody was brave enough to let me do it, and, and we won the case. So uh, you just get opportunities that I'm confident that you would never get on the other side. So, you know, I think, I think and, and litigation, as we all know in our profession, is a very valuable um, quiver to have in when you're moving forward, whether you want to stay with the government or whether you want to go out into private practice. So um, I think it's a great place for young women to get opportunities and to um, really grow and challenge themselves. So uh, it's a little bit of a pitch for anyone that wants to come work for me. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and Kristen, since you are in the private sector, does having that agency experience behind them differentiate candidates who are coming and looking to join your firm? Yeah, I, I really think so because in private practice, you really have to be more patient in waiting for your opportunities to speak in court. So anyone that comes to private practice with a lot of government experience is just going to be um, more comfortable in the courtroom and more comfortable with uh, speaking roles in court. Um, that said, I think people on the in private practice can um, prepare while they're young attorneys to be ready when, when the time comes for, for them to have their opportunities in court. And um, I think if you treat meetings, um, if you try to run a meeting or present at a meeting, think of that as your oral argument. Or um, you can make opportunities for oral argument for yourself by perhaps arguing in, at the MDL panel or um, you know, really tackling an issue in discovery and maybe get, getting to present a discovery dispute. So sort of taking the opportunities you have, making the most of them, and showing the lead counsel at the moment that you can do it, and hopefully in the future you will be given more opportunities to present in front of the judge, to present in front of co-counsel. Switching gears just a little bit, one topic that has been a hot topic here at the spring meeting has been the administration change, especially with the announcement of the new head of the Department of Justice mm -hmm. antitrust section. Lisa, do you think that the administration change is going to affect women differently than it will men? And if so, do you think that what what tips can women take away to get through the transition a little bit easier, maybe come out ahead? Mm -hmm. I know you've gone through a few administration yes. changes in your time. <laughs> yes, I've gone through quite a few. And, and actually, interestingly, my experience has been that it's more just adjusting to the individual rather than, you know, whatever whatever party or, or, or political leanings they might have. Really, I, I always tell people I was hired during the Reagan administration. <laughs> I was promoted to chief of the National Criminal Enforcement Section um, in the Bush administration. And I have not really experienced 
any uh, real variety based on which party uh, is in power at the moment in terms of criminal antitrust enforcement. Um, but that said, there are individuals who have particular working styles and, and particular um, ways of interacting. And in some ways, I think that can, being a woman can be an advantage because women are kind of naturally more attuned uh, to, to reading people and picking up cues. So um, sometimes the adjustment I've, I've observed over the years is, is easier for the women who um, you know, can kind of figure out the new person and their style and their, their most effective uh, working uh, relationship. And they're able to adapt more quickly sometimes even than, than the guys who, you know, not obviously not consistently, but might be a little more rigid or, or, or less open to change. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Since we are at the spring meeting, what opportunities, and this is an ABA program, how can women, for lack of a better word, exploit the ABA to better mm -hmm. their careers, to um, really put themselves in a position for that promotion for the lead counsel, for the lead trial counsel mm -hmm. position? Well, I've been really actively involved uh, with the ABA almost throughout my career. Um, very early on, I got involved with the Young Lawyers Division, and I wanted to have an opportunity to sort of, you know, get my name out there a little bit. And someone said to me, well, you know, there are always opportunities for writing, and I love to write, and, you know, wasn't at the time getting to do a lot of brief writing uh, at work. And so um, they said, well, you could write the chapter regarding criminal developments for the Antitrust Developments book. So for three or four years I did that, and I was so excited to have my name in the, in the foreword uh, um, at that stage of my career. But then that led to me getting to know people in the section, and then I realized that the Criminal Practice and Procedures Committee would be a great place for me. I worked my way up to vice chair. That was at the time when I was still a staff attorney. So um, it, it, it made me um, have opportunities to network and to listen to the defense bar and hear their perspectives on our criminal cases. And then after I became chief, I had a lot more opportunities to speak on panels and be a representative of the division. And in recent years, I've been involved with the International Cartel Task Force, which um, meets a lot with foreign enforcers from around the globe. So I found it always to be a great way to develop my skills, you know, because speaking on a panel is not all that different sometimes than speaking in a courtroom. And it's given me a lot of ways to sort of polish my skills and develop in ways that might not have otherwise been available. That's great advice. So if you're a young attorney just starting out, let's say we're, you know, you're a private, you're a staff attorney at the FTC or you're a staff attorney at Justice or you're, you know, the, the new, brand new associate at a law mm -hmm. firm um, who might not have the opportunity to write for the ALD right away, what would you say, what's the first step that they can mm -hmm. do? Because sometimes coming to these meetings can be a little overwhelming or going to a networking event where you don't know mm -hmm. anybody, that can be a little overwhelming. So what's, what's that first step that a new attorney can take? Probably for a very new attorney, it would be helpful to um, to find a partner or, or a senior person if you're in government that is active or involved with, with the ABA and ask them to sort of mentor you into becoming an active ABA member and to, and to introduce you and help you uh, get to know how things work and look for opportunities. And, you know, all of the committees um, are putting out publications, they're putting out newsletters, they're setting up brown bags, and they're always looking for eager, enthusiastic young folks who would like to help help in that regard. 
So um, I would suggest getting a, a sort of a, sort of an ABA mentor type and have them kind of walk you through, which is a little bit of what we're doing here with uh, with Tiana, who um, I've encouraged. She'll uh, be able to tell you that I've encouraged a lot of the younger attorneys in our section, and particularly the women, to get more involved with the ABA because it can give you a platform that you might not otherwise have. Well, since Lisa just brought Tiana into the conversation lovely in a lovely way. Tiana, how has this section helped you and what would you recommend to young lawyers? So I think as a first step, I would I would second um, what Lisa said, which I think is just telegraphing your interest to either the partner you work for or whoever you work for. Um, I, I think sometimes there's a reluctance to show interest until you think that you are capable or deserving of a role. But I think the earlier that you relate to the, to the people you work for that you're interested in something, then when those opportunities arise, you're perhaps positioned in a better um, way to take advantage of them. Um, So I absolutely agree with Lisa that um, the first step is just trying to get involved and the best way to do that is just to announce your interest. Great. And Kristen, what do you think? What would you tell a young attorney just starting out how to leverage the ABA to help further their career? Well, I would encourage them to join the committees. Um, The committees send out emails on a regular basis updating updating their committee members on what's going on with the committee um, and what volunteer opportunities they have. So I am a vice chair of the trial practice committee and I edit our newsletter and we send out um, uh, shout outs for articles on a pretty regular basis when we're trying to fill up our slots for our our newsletter trying antitrust. So there are, there are a lot of opportunities, um, I think, for young lawyers, short of writing chapters of books within the committees. Um, we're, look, we're, we're looking for people to moderate brown bags. Um, we're looking for people to work on our jury instruction database, and we're developing an expert witness testimony database. And you can find out about these opportunities by subscribing um, to the Connect Alerts from the committee, the various committees on the ABA. And then uh, the other thing I, I, I think is important for um, leadership in, in the ABA antitrust section to keep in mind is when um, a lawyer reaches out and does a, and does a really good job on the project um, to try to encourage that lawyer to take on more responsibilities and recommend them for other roles. Um, so when it comes time for applications into leadership roles, YL, well, YLR roles, or uh, vice committee roles in within the committees, that young lawyer can ref- have a reference back to um, some of the uh, current vice chairs and, and um, section chairs that they've worked with um, on their previous work on newsletters, brown bags, et cetera. Great. And while we don't have a crystal ball, if you could look into the crystal ball and see the future, what would you like to see the section doing to increase female membership and female active roles in membership and as well as in practice? Jody, last year at the spring meeting, we put on a session that was called Women in Antitrust, Does Gender Matter? And... um, you know, I think both the, the section and myself were a little concerned, might we only get three people attending or might we get a room full? And we were just overwhelmed. The ballroom was, was filled to capacity and then there was standing room only. And more important was the energy that I heard in the room and the hunger in the room from uh, some of the younger women um, to understand, you know, how, how can they um, get more involved in advance and, and, and what, what is the secret to that? 
And so I think uh, the section can continue to sponsor more uh, women-focused events. You know, I wouldn't think it was a bad idea to have a subcommittee on women in antitrust because we talked about on my session last year the fact that, that the antitrust section actually has one of the lower, of all the ABA sections, one of the lower female memberships. And I think we all need to work harder to get that up. And so I would uh, hope that um, women partners and women government leaders like myself will keep encouraging uh, more of the younger women to join. But I think a mentor program where people could be paired and have somebody um, to meet with could really help. And I think we all need to really spend some time and energy thinking about how we can encourage more women to, to get involved and stay involved in the practice of antitrust law because it's just been incredibly rewarding to me. That's great, thank you. And Kristen, you're a vice chair. What would you like to see the section do to increase female membership? Uh, I really like Lisa's suggestion about creating a, a committee to address uh, women membership in the ABA. And I think the, the mentoring idea is great. And I've been mentored um, in the ABA and it's been you know, truly rewarding um, as, a, as a mentee. And I, I would love to be a mentor for a young lawyer um, just starting out as well. Great, and Tiana, do you have any other suggestions? I second all of those. <laughs> I think we have unanimous. <laughs> well, I think we have some great ideas, and I think we would all like to see a mentorship program and, and a subcommittee devoted to women's issues and increasing women's exposure in antitrust law would be really beneficial to us as a group and the antitrust section. Um, but I think with that, we've come to the end of our program. I want to thank Lisa and Kristen and Tiana for joining me. This has been a wonderful discussion. If our listeners have questions or would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you all? Um, well, I'm at the Department of Justice, so uh, uh, every uh, DOJ attorney has the same uh, mailing address, first name, dot last name, dot at USDOJ. Gov. So I'd be happy to receive emails or, or uh, uh, get in touch with people. And I'm always at ABA events, so uh, <laughs> look for me. Um, and I'm always happy to chat. Great. Thank you. And Tiana? The same. I'm, I'm available at the USDOJ uh, email and uh, would welcome receiving any emails um, of anyone who would like to chat about any of these issues. Great. And Kristen, how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can look me up on LinkedIn, Kristen Anderson, or um, on my firm's website has my full contact information with my email address, uh, scott-scott.com. Wonderful. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Jody Williams. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.